Good evening. One more time. Good evening. It is good to see you all. Make yourself comfortable if you're just coming in. We are in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, rapidly coming to the end of our studies. After this, of course, we'll be going into 2 Peter, so you can read ahead. I appreciate that Steve led us in worship and shared some of the songs uh, that he did because so many of them had to do with difficulty and suffering and the challenges we face, tribulations, persecution. Uh, I appreciate that because this evening our subject is going to be being willing to suffer for being a Christian. And, you know, I think in the first, you know, I know in the first century that to be a Christian was to suffer in one way, shape, or form. You would, you would face persecution, isolation, you would be ostracized by your community, and uh, there was that on the light side, and on the more difficult side, you had people that were being put to death, and so, you know, for their faith. Now, I think that we've been very fortunate over the last several hundred years in our nation, as we've experienced more religious freedom than probably any other culture or society that has ever existed. Even today, uh, I think you could easily say that uh, we have more religious freedom than any other nation in the world. Those freedoms are being threatened. Uh, I wouldn't say that they're being taken away just yet. They're certainly being threatened. Um, There have been all types of surreptitious ways that the world and the devil have tried to get us away from worshiping God. But here we are. Amen. Look around. Here we are. Our attitude towards suffering, though, needs to change. Because if you're like me, your attitude towards suffering is this. It's, 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 we avoid it at all costs. So if there's something you have to do to avoid suffering, you'll just do it. You know, I'm kind of shocked by how easily people today, uh, I mean, they'll, they'll avoid suffering and they'll even avoid inconvenience just because, uh, you know, it's difficult. Like, I've heard people, and and again, people that decide to, uh, you know, make a decision to do something or to go somewhere uh, that might put them in danger, you know, for Christ, uh, they make that decision. They know that God will protect them and sustain them even through trials and tribulations. But it amazes me today in our country that there's just a little inconvenience and people fold like a cheap suit, you know? Uh, it's just amazing. Without getting into like masks and vaccines and everything, it's just amazing how quickly people will make a decision, maybe against their own conscience and their own desires, just because they don't want to be inconvenienced, let alone what if they actually had to suffer. So I think one of the things we want to remember is we have to change our attitude towards suffering, or when suffering comes, we're going to have a bad attitude about it, and we might not stand for Christ in the face of persecution. So our attitude needs to change, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So with that, I think let's open in a word of prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your grace and your mercy. And we ask now that as we open your word, you would be gracious to us, merciful, Lord, we know you are. Uh, Be merciful to us, gracious, because we need to be encouraged and bolstered in our faith so that when suffering inevitably comes, when insults and intimidation come our way, that we can stand firm that we can stand bravely and courageously for you. So, Lord, we ask for your help. We ask for your strengthening your spirit in, in a mighty way to cause us to be an inspiration to others as you inspire us. 
We now look to you in your word, desire to hear from you and to be encouraged. And we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Like I said, our attitude towards suffering needs to change. You know, the Christians that Peter was writing to were suffering, but they were suffering for Christ. Nero severely persecuted the church from about 64 to 67 AD, but mostly in and around Rome. There was a great fire, the great fire of Rome, that broke out on July 19, 64 AD, and Rome was nearly wiped out. The fire burned for three days and three nights. It was checked, and then it broke out again. The citizens blamed Nero, believing that he had set fire to the city in order to rebuild the city the way that he wanted. But Nero diverted suspicion by blaming Christians for the devastation. He said the Christians set the fire. You know, it's been amazing to me as I've looked around at our world over this last year, how quickly people are blaming Christians for everything. We get blamed for all sorts of things. Uh, It was because of churches and synagogues that this thing spread out of control, right? This COVID thing. It was all the church's fault. And yet, if you actually look at the data, very few people caught uh, anything in church. Uh, There was a one choir practice, I think, that took place in Oregon early on where someone was sick and they were all pretty close to one another and then a number of people got it. And so because of that, it became, you can't go to church, can't worship, can't be close to anyone because you know what? You're going to catch a disease that's going to kill you. Now we've learned a lot since then and we know, know a lot more, but it amazed me how quickly the government diverts suspicion from them onto people like us, people of faith. It's not their fault. It's our fault. And now, you know, there's a number of people that are not comfortable with this experimental, it's not really even a vaccine, at least two of them aren't, they're gene therapies, but, you know, there's people that are not comfortable with this this thing, and, and, you know, it's our fault, those of us who are not going to get the vaccine, it's our fault that everyone has to wear a mask and no one can go back to normal. And my answer is simply this, if you're so worried about me, take your mask off, (laughs) I don't care. It's amazing how quickly they want to blame churches. I, I saw, as you saw, that Canadian pastor who was dragged out of his church and thrown into prison or into jail this last week. Why? Because they're worshiping God without masks and other things that the government said were foolish. So how quickly we see in our world the church is, is, is put on the defense and we're blamed for stuff that we didn't even do. This is nothing new. The devil does this kind of stuff. He looks to divide us. He looks to set us as the fall guy for for whatever the world wants to blame. It's our fault, of course. Nero did the same thing, blamed Christians for the fire, more than likely he had set. Christians, therefore, were tortured in the cruelest ways imaginable for the emperor's pleasure. They were even burned nightly as torches in Nero's gardens. The emperor's example, though, encouraged the enemies of the church everywhere to persecute them, not just around Rome, not just in and around Rome. So the church was now suffering sporadic persecution throughout the entire Roman world. And with this as a backdrop, Peter writes his epistle. But the thing we need to know and the thing we need to understand, we see in verses 12 through 13. There is joy in suffering for Christ. I'm not going to say there's anything good about suffering, but there is a joy that we can experience when we're suffering in Christ. Now, here's what it says. Dear friends, Peter writes in verse 12 
of chapter 4. Do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. You see, there is a joy in suffering for Christ. It doesn't mean that it's a joyous or good experience, but there is a joy that can be experienced in suffering for Christ. The first thing Peter makes clear is we should not be surprised that God sometimes calls us to suffer for him. There were a number of movements in the church in the 70s and into the 80s that suggested that if you were suffering, it was a lack of faith. And yet we know that God has called his saints to suffer throughout the centuries. Many Christians within the early church gave their lives for the cause of Christ. He talks about a painful trial. Did you see that word, painful? Do not be surprised at the painful trial you were suffering. The word painful is pyrosis. It's like the word pyro. It has to do with fire. It's a fiery trial. Some translations might even say the fiery trial you are experiencing or, or, or suffering. It means fiery or a burning. It's a fire, though, that refines precious metals. And this is something that Peter used early on in this epistle in chapter 1. Going back to chapter 1, I remember uh, in verse 7, Peter said this. He said, speaking of trials, he said in verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. He's talking about a fire, a fiery trial, like the fire that purifies precious metals, silver, gold. You have to heat the metal up to remove the impurities. So when you have gold refined in the fire, it's refined gold, it's pure gold. Silver, the same thing, they remove the dross. There is more impurity in silver than gold, but these impurities, once they're removed, leave behind a precious metal that is even more valuable. And that's exactly what God is doing. And that's why we can have joy in trial. That's how we can rejoice in our trials. Now, he says don't be surprised. And it's not surprising, given Nero's recent persecution of Christians, it's not surprising that they would suffer. Some Christians amaze me because when they begin to suffer for being Christians, not just suffer in life, but when they begin to suffer for being Christians, you know, you, you at work express your feelings about a moral issue or an issue of, of, of faith, and people start to treat you differently. You might even get fired or not get promoted, and people are surprised. Well, why are you surprised? Don't be surprised at the painful or fiery trial that you're experiencing, Peter says. Because there is a purpose to our earthly trials, as Peter mentioned earlier, and we've read that already. Our faith is more valuable than even the most valuable earthly treasure. And our faith is refined through trials the way that gold is refined by fire. That can be your joy, that in the midst of suffering for Christ, you grow closer to Christ and your faith grows, it's, it's purified through trials. Many Christians throughout the centuries have given their lives for the cause of Christ. Many Christians give their lives today throughout the world for the cause of Christ. And many Christians within the early church gave their lives for the cause of Christ. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. So don't be surprised. 
We should rejoice, we should rejoice with anticipation when we're suffering that God's glory will be revealed in our suffering. See, when you're going through suffering, and that suffering is because you're a Christian, it's because of Him, you can know this truth. God's glory will be revealed. God's glory has been revealed through the lives of martyrs through the centuries. Our earthly joy is transformed into a heavenly joy as we patiently endure suffering. Now, the word for rejoice means to be glad. Not of the trial, but in the trial. To be well, to thrive. But the word to be overjoyed takes it a step further. To be exceedingly glad, to be exceedingly well. And so as we read that in verse 13, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So you rejoice now in what God is doing in trials because you know the day will come when you're in the presence of God in eternity. And your joy in trials today will be transformed into a heavenly joy. And you're going to look back as you've patiently endured suffering in this life for being a Christian, and you're going to look back and you're going to say, thank God for what he did in my life through those trials. Thank God for the joy that I experienced because now that joy has been transformed into an exceeding joy. But if you don't have joy in trials today, when you stand in the presence of God, you're going to forfeit or miss out on the overjoy. I like to think of overjoy as like joy to the third power. It's just a lot of joy. But you're not going to experience that heavenly joy if you're not experiencing joy in your circumstances and in your suffering today. You know, God's glory is always revealed in a number of ways as we suffer for him. It's as if the glory is within us. It's God's presence. It's God's glory, the spirit within us. And as he breaks us, some of that glory just sort of breaks out. As you're broken, the glory of God in your life breaks out. I think of it as sort of like a a piece of pottery with a, with a flame inside it, with a candle. And as, as the cracks in the pottery, as the brokenness in the pottery happens, you, you see the light sort of shine through. And that's God's glory in you and through your life being revealed through suffering. You know, he's, God's glory is revealed in a number of ways as we suffer for him. It's revealed through us, as we've already talked about, through us while we are suffering. I think of Stephen as he was put to death in Acts chapter 6. Stephen revealed God's glory. His face shone as like, like an angel. Paul revealed God's glory in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He, he talked about the, this glory that he experienced and, and was in him in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And it's worth reading because this is another great scripture on the subject of suffering from Paul's perspective. We're reading Peter tonight, but... In uh, verse 7 of chapter 4, you're familiar with it. And it's, it's where I got that analogy for the jar, or the jar of clay or the, uh, the pottery. But we have this treasure, Paul says, in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed, We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, 
so that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It's an amazing truth. He goes on in verse 16 to say, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That was his perspective. That was Paul's perspective on the glory of God being revealed in and through their lives, his life and the life of those on his ministry team, while they were suffering. Stephen experienced it. Paul experienced it. In fact, Paul was witness to Stephen being put to death. And that glory was revealed in Stephen, and then the glory was revealed in Paul. But God's glory is revealed not only through us while we were suffering, but to us while we are suffering. You'll experience God's glory in a profound way when you're suffering for him. You will. You'll experience a closeness to Jesus that only comes through suffering. Of course, God's glory was revealed to Stephen. He saw the Lord standing at the right hand of the throne of God to receive him. And God's glory was revealed to Paul, as we've already talked about. While he was suffering, he experienced God in a powerful way. So not only does the world see God's glory through us, we experience God's glory in us. It's it's revealed to us, not just through us, but to us. And you'll miss out on that joy if you shun suffering and are unwilling to suffer for Christ. Now, no one's going to sign up to suffer for Christ, but when we suffer for Christ, it's important that our attitude be what is described by Peter in this section. Now, one of the things we can be encouraged by is knowing that God's glory will be revealed in us after we finish suffering. Can I hear an amen? Now, we can be finished with suffering when the trial dissipates in this life or when the trials are over and we're ushered into Christ's presence. But in either way, you need to know we will experience God's glory for all eternity because we've suffered for him here and now. Stephen looked for God's glory to be revealed in him as he was being put to death. You know, he said, do not lay this into their charge. And it says he looked up and he went to sleep. He saw the glory of God. Paul looked for God's glory to be revealed in him. Throughout his writings, he makes that clear. He was looking forward to experiencing God's glory for all eternity. And Peter looked for God's glory to be revealed in him as well. In fact, One of the things that comes out loud and clear is he describes himself in the next chapter as a witness of Christ's sufferings and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. So the thing that gets you through the suffering is knowing that it will end. Amen? But in the suffering, you rejoice so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. That's what we're told. That's what Peter tells us. So that's a great perspective. Yes, our attitude needs to change. There is a joy in suffering for Christ, but there is also a blessing. Not just a joy, but a blessing in suffering for Christ. It's talked about in verses 14 through 16. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. 
However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. If somebody is going to put you to death because you claim the name of Jesus Christ, if someone is going to insult you or mock you because you're a Christian, you bear the glory of God. You bear the name of Jesus Christ. You suffer for being associated with him. There's a blessing in that. And we would all avoid that suffering, of course. We would rather be filled with joy without suffering, and that is possible. We would rather be blessed without suffering, but there is a joy and a blessing that only comes through suffering. That is suffering for Christ, not suffering for being a murderer or a meddler. I like that. Suffering for being a thief or a murderer or even a meddler. You know? Intromentio. You know, like in Spanish you say, somebody who gets involved in things they shouldn't be involved in. Right? Julio? Not that you're a meddler. Just that you know what I'm talking about. Because you're shaking your head and you speak Spanish. So uh, I didn't mean to make it seem like you're one of those guys. But anyway, here's what we know. We know that we're going to experience some suffering as Christians. And, and probably more and more as the days grow darker, we better have a different attitude about it. Or you're going to miss out on not only the joy that could be yours, but the blessing that could be yours. Now, we've just read that we should expect to suffer the same insults that Christ himself suffered. They insulted him. You know that. And by being insulted for being a Christian, it shows that we don't belong to the world, that we've been chosen out of it, and thank God for that. I would rather be insulted for being a Christian than blend in, especially with this crazy world. It proves that we're, in fact, servants of Christ and of God the Father. It shows the world who we are. Do you understand? When you stand up and people mock you for being a Christian and you share the gospel, no one has any doubt whatsoever about your commitment. It confirms that the Holy Spirit dwells within us and has anointed us for service. These blessings are only realized in this way when we suffer for the cause of Christ. So guess what, church? We are going to have an opportunity to be filled with joy. We are going to have an opportunity to be abundantly blessed as the world turns against us, and they are. They are. It was amazing to me how going to Costco or to ShopRite was perfectly fine. The other day I was sitting in a restaurant. I looked around. It was packed. It was more packed than a Sunday morning. No one had any masks on because you, you don't, you know, there's some kind of a magic thing that happens when you sit at a table in a restaurant where you don't need a mask. It's called money. But, you know, it's amazing. I'm in this restaurant. I'm looking around. I'm like, this is more crowded than church. People are closer together. Why is that okay? I'll tell you why. The devil does... The devil has no problem with you going out to eat. But the devil has a problem with you coming out to praise and worship. To worship God. So that's what this is all about. Let's be honest. Let's be clear. The forces of evil are working through all the circumstances in our world to try to do what? To try to tamp down those of us who are preaching the gospel. To stop the cause of Christ. Has that ever worked? No, and it won't. In fact, we'll be blessed and filled with joy for being faithful. Now, we should never suffer for committing crimes or acting inappropriately. You may suffer for being a Christian because people accuse you of crimes you didn't commit. That's a different thing. That would be suffering for the cause of Christ. That's oftentimes what happened over the centuries. 
You wouldn't get arrested for being a Christian. You would just get arrested for some trumped-up charge. Because you were a Christian, they would plant evidence on you or try to get rid of you and persecute you. But the official charge was you were doing something you shouldn't do. Or they just pass a law like they did with Daniel. You can't pray. Or like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You can't, you, you, you can't stand. You've got to bow to this idol. So they pass these laws, then we don't do what they want, and then, whoop, time to suffer. We're actually suffering for being Christians. Keep that in mind that many, if not most, of the martyrs who suffered didn't suffer technically for being Christians, but because they broke other laws that were designed to cause Christians to suffer. Or they were lied about, slandered, with false charges and fake news. So, as long as we know in our hearts that we haven't committed any crimes or done anything inappropriately, we can suffer for the name of Christ. And we should never be ashamed to suffer for the cause of Christ. If you're ashamed to suffer for the cause of Christ, what makes you think, if you were around when the mark of the beast was being handed out, what makes you think you're not going to be like, well, I don't want to suffer. I mean, my kid goes to an Ivy League school. I mean, he may not be able to get his degree. Oh, sure, I'll take the mark of the beast. I'm not saying, like, the vaccine is the mark of the beast. I'm just saying that people seem to be really, I mean, they just, they, they have no conviction, really, about things that, that matter. Now, if you get the vaccine and you want to and you've made that decision, God bless you. I'm not saying that's a, that necessarily is something you shouldn't do. But it's interesting how, if someone doesn't want to, how much pressure there's put on them. It just seems to me to be a setup for the day when everybody's putting pressure on us as Christians to to reject Christ and receive the mark of the beast and swear allegiance to an antichrist. It just, it seems similar to me a little bit. You can't buy, you can't sell without this mark. You can't fly, you can't work, can't go to a school. it's, It's prepping the way for that day. Now listen. Taking an experimental biological agent in your system is one thing. Going ahead and taking the mark of the beast and denying Christ for all eternity is another. These things, I don't want you to conflate those things. But it's amazing to me how the world is preparing us for having to go against our convictions. If you have a conviction. I'm just saying, if you have a conviction about vaccines, the world is putting a lot of pressure on you right now to do something that's against your convictions. If you don't, that's a different story. I'm not conflating the two, but it, wouldn't it be something if the day comes around and say, well, you know, you got, you got to get this mark or you can't buy, you can't sell, you can't work. And how many Christians are, are going to be willing to suffer that? Well, I think all those who are really Christians will. But it's hard to say how many people are kind of faking it. They're not going to be willing to suffer for Christ. Why would they? So keep that in mind. We should never be ashamed to suffer for the cause of Christ. Look what it says in verse 16. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. We should never be ashamed. It's not as if we have done anything shameful or deserving of punishment by being a Christian. I mean, it's a blessing when we do have to suffer for doing the right thing. We were told that back in chapter 3, verse 14. We read that recently. Of this same book. He says, But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Make sure you stand firm in your convictions as a Christian. 
make sure you don't let anybody intimidate you or pressure you to violate your convictions as a Christian. Now, it is a blessing for doing the right thing and to suffer. It is a blessing for when you suffer for doing the right thing. It gives us an opportunity to prove the sincerity of our actions. When someone says, well, you're going to get fired if you keep going to church. Oh, well, I guess I'll find another job. Well, no one's going to hire you because you're a Christian. Oh, well, I guess I'll have to trust God. Well, you can't trust God. Well, people have been trusting God for thousands of years. I think I'm going to trust him. Shows that we're completely committed to what we believe in. It gives you an opportunity to put your money where your mouth is, if you will. Think about it. It's easy to say you're a Christian. But when it costs you something, it proves you're a Christian. And that's one of the blessings of suffering for being a Christian. We should praise God for the opportunity to prove our faith in Christ in this way. That's what he says there in the latter part of verse 16. But praise God that you bear that name. And no one wants to suffer. I don't want to suffer. But I'm not willing to deny the name of Christ to avoid suffering. And you shouldn't be either. And that's what he's talking about here too. A group of people who are suffering. We've already talked about the circumstances at that time. Now, the apostles rejoiced that they had suffered for the cause of Christ. In Acts chapter 5, we're going to get to that. They suffered for, uh, for being Christians. And they counted it joy that they should suffer for the name of Christ. We'll see that in chapter 5 of the book of Acts in future studies. To bear the name of Christian is to suffer disgrace for the name of Christ. You understand that? The world despises you. The devil hates you. They want to destroy us. They want to destroy you. Why do they want... Have you ever stopped and to think about it? What is it about being a Christian that so inflames the passions of our enemies that they don't just want to silence us, they want to destroy us. If anything, that shows me that it's true. That what we believe is true. Because they don't want to hear the truth. They want to stop their ears. They don't want to hear the truth. That's what they did when Stephen preached the gospel. It says they stopped their ears. They, they didn't want to hear what he had to say. Why? Because it was true. And the reason the world doesn't want to hear what we have to say is because deep down inside, in their souls that God created, they know that what we're saying and the word of God itself is true. Amen? A Christian was synonymous with being a disciple. That's not necessarily the case today. A disciple is a follower of Christ. When you called someone a Christian in the first century, it meant you were said that they were a disciple. Not necessarily true anymore. The title of Christian was used of those who chose to serve Christ. But the title of Christian is used far too loosely in today's church. In fact, today, if you're not Muslim, if you're not a Jew, if you're not Hindu, and you're not an atheist, you probably just put down Christian. You see what I'm saying? Because maybe you went to church when you were a kid. You know, today, one of the things you'll see very clearly is that being a Muslim, you know, these people are committed. These people are committed to what they believe. And the other thing is, like, even, even Jews. Being a Jew is not an easy thing in this world. You know that, right? Look at what's happening right now. It's amazing. It's not, it's not surprising to me that Hamas is firing rockets with this weak administration that we have, firing rockets into Israel. That doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me that there's violence in the Middle East between Palestinians and Jews. That doesn't surprise me. You know what does surprise me and concerns me a little bit? 
that there were violence against Jews in New York by Palestinians who were here in America. That a Jewish man was beat up today. Think about that. You want to live in that kind of country? Jews being beat up in our country today? Why? Because they're Jews. The Muslims have a, have, have a saying, and, and, and we understand that there are Muslims, and then there are radicalized Muslims, right? We, extremists, we understand there's a distinction. I've known some Muslims who are beautiful people. Consider them my friends, still do. But radicalized Muslims, they, they say, you know, first comes Saturday, then comes Sunday. See, Muslims worship on Friday. And they say, first comes Saturday, then comes Sunday. What they're saying is, first the Jews, then the Christians. People who are Muslim are committed to what they believe in, and the extremists even more so. People who are Jews are committed enough to suffer through the centuries for what they believe, right? This is true. But unfortunately, many Christians aren't all that committed to being Christians. And that saddens me, because the Christians of the first century took a chance when they gave their life to Christ that they would possibly suffer or be put to death. So that's one of the blessings. It really sort of separates the wheat from the chaff. And as you've seen in the church within our area, uh, many churches emptied out during this COVID crisis, and some have not bounced back. And I'm not, I'm not saying that's a judgment on any one Christian or group of Christians or their leadership, but it does kind of tell you, you know, it became difficult to be a Christian and attend church, and some people just folded up. It separates the wheat from the chaff. Some churches said, that's ah, just too difficult. Then it closed. I don't know. You tell me. So what I'm saying here, what Peter is saying is, you have to be willing to stand up for what you believe. And if you do, you'll be blessed and you'll be filled with joy in those experiences. They'll be difficult. They'll be hard. This last year has been difficult. It's been hard. You know what it's been like? Honestly, you know, not that I want to cry in my soup, but listen. Trying to navigate the, the shores of this last year, knowing in my heart that this COVID thing probably wasn't something we really needed to worry about all that much, and yet having to be concerned for people who are really, really afraid, and trying to help people who weren't afraid to be considerate of people who were afraid, and how do we all stay one body in Christ, and do we open up, and are we able to worship, and who's fearful, and... I mean, it's been really a test of patience. And so many times in my flesh, I just would have been like, you know what, if you're afraid, stay home. But that's not the right heart. So we try to do what we can to keep us uni united and unified in Christ and to make concessions for those brothers and sisters who are afraid and help them to see that they probably don't need to fear. But it's been difficult. It's been challenging. At times, it would have been easier to just say, you know what, we'll stay online and we're not going to open up. I can understand why churches just decided to fold. It was a lot easier than taking a chance. Hey, you take a chance when you open up. Someone might get sick. It's been difficult. It's been challenging. But I'm glad to say that Calvary Chapel, that we've stood the test. We've been here. We've been here. We haven't gone anywhere. You know, the first 10 weeks, we were here, we were inside, we were recording uh, many of you came in. There were times where there was 10 to 15 people. Am I going to get arrested? Do we break any laws? We didn't turn anyone away. We left the door open. If you came in, we, we would sit down. There's plenty of room here. We worried about it. You know, we didn't turn anyone away, but many people just didn't come out. And then we went outside for like 22 weeks. Two of those weeks we had to come in because of the weather, and the place was packed. 
No super spreader event. It was great. And then October 25th, we came back in and slowly but surely, we're full again and we're back to normal. We're even opening up the nursery next month. The nursery has been open to parents, but it hasn't been open with caregivers. And now we're do- So we're really back to normal. And I'm really glad to say that. I look around, I don't really see anyone with masks on. Why? Well, maybe one or two people, but you know what? What does that mean? It means that we've kind of gotten back to normal. That's a good thing, isn't it? Amen? It took time to get here, but it's been difficult. And it would have been easier to bow. It would have been a whole lot easier, and we would have taken no risk whatsoever if we just closed our doors. But there's risk in life. And I'm not so willing to compromise our freedom to worship God freely. I'm willing to embrace risk in order to do what's more important than being safe. Not being reckless, but being safe. You know something? I'm so thrilled that we get to be here on Wednesdays and Sundays and other days that we gather for worship. I'm so thrilled. We don't have to be ashamed of how we've handled this crisis. We've been brave, we've been confident, we've been trusting in the Lord, and God has honored us. And again, we've had no super spreader events. Many of you have gotten sick, you've gotten better. To my knowledge, I don't think anyone got extremely sick. I know of maybe one or two people that uh, maybe don't even really attend here all the time that got sick, but for, for the most part, we've done okay, haven't we? Can we acknowledge and praise God that he got us through this? I think we're through it now. Amen. So I I think what you have to do is, in all things, you have to trust God. You have to decide what's more important, playing it safe or worshiping God. That's all I'm saying. Somebody's uh, phone is going off or something. (laughs) Not sure what's happening. Okay. So we need to realize something, though, that God is judging this wicked world. Can I hear an amen? We need to realize that truth. And that's what Peter closes this section with. Just so you understand and know, God is on the throne. He's allowing us to suffer some experience of persecution right now and has through the centuries. But the day is going to come where the tables will be turned And he's going to deliver us and the world is going to be judged. And what Peter says in verses 17 through 19 is that we need to realize that while judgment begins with us, the judgment of the world against us, it doesn't end with us. It ends with the world being judged. And that's what Peter means when he says it this way in verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. That's the persecution of the world. And if it begins with us... What will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And and then he quotes from Proverbs chapter 11, verse 31. If it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. See, that's what we're doing here tonight. Good. We're doing good. So what we're being told here is that as God's family, we are called to experience the judgment of the world. How do I know that? Because the world is constantly doing it. The judgment of the world against us is they hate us and want to put us to death. So when he says the time 
For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. He's not talking about God judging the family of God. God doesn't judge us. We were judged. Our sins were judged at the cross. He's talking about the world's judgment against us. That's what's happening right now. That was what was happening then. It's what's happening now. So when he says it this way, it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. But notice he goes on to say, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So you see, he's saying, okay, we're experiencing trials right now, but what's the outcome going to be for those who are persecuting us? What is the outcome going to be? Well, as he says there, the outcome will be extremely difficult, and it will be judgment on a scale that we will never experience in this life or in the next. We may be judged by the world, but we'll be spared God's judgment. Those that reject Christ may be spared the world's judgment, but they'll be judged by God. So which would you rather have? Judged by the world or judged by God? The righteous experience hardship and suffering on this earth. That's why he quotes that verse from Proverbs 11, verse 31. Yes, the righteous experience hardship and suffering on this earth, but the ungodly and the sinner even more so, both in this life and in the next. So don't envy the ungodly or the sinner just because they're not being judged by the world systems because they deny Christ. Oh, it's hard for the righteous to be saved, but what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Well, we're told that God may call us to suffer for the cause of Christ by his sovereign will. Notice it says it this way. So then in verse 19, those who suffer according to God's will. Did you see that? It's sometimes God's will that we should suffer. You can't read that verse and not come to that conclusion. They should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So there it is in a nutshell. What Peter's saying to a group of suffering saints, he's not saying, how could God abandon you? He's not saying, you're suffering because of a lack of faith. You're suffering because of your sins. You're suffering because you're not following God's will. No, he's saying you're suffering according to God's will for being faithful. They needed to hear that. You know, that is so encouraging. Why am I suffering? Because I love Christ. Why am I being persecuted? Because I bear the name of Christ. And therefore, I can have joy and be blessed in the midst of suffering. We better remember these things as the days grow darker. God may call you to suffer for the cause of Christ by his sovereign will. This should not shake your commitment to God. He is just as faithful when you're suffering as when you're not. Amen? This should not dissuade you from doing the right thing. Because he is just as pleased when you do. I'll leave you with that verse one more time. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue doing good. That is, do the right thing. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for encouraging us in all things. Lord, you encourage us to suffer, if necessary, for your name, according to your will, to be faithful and to stand, to be faithful, to honor you in all things, to to not give in or lie down just because the world tries to intimidate us or persecute us or judge us for being Christians. I pray right now for every person here that we would all stand strong in the name of Jesus Christ, filled with the Spirit, and not be willing to compromise even one inch in our commitment to you and our commitment to reach the world with the truth. 
the truth that you came and died on the cross for our sins, that you rose again on the third day, and that you're coming again to judge the living and the dead, and that all those that call upon you, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, will be saved. Those that confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, that you raised your son from the dead. O Lord, Heavenly Father, give us the strength empower us to live for you, that we might be blessed, that we might be filled with joy, that we may be overjoyed as we suffer for you. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.